Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Financial Independence Podcast, the podcast where I get inside the brains of some of the best and brightest in personal finance to find out how they achieved financial independence. On today's show, I'm excited to talk to my buddy, Tony, who I met at a camp mustache a few years ago. After the camp finished, we became friends on Facebook, and I noticed at some point last year that he was posting about getting a new job, and that surprised me because he achieved financial independence, he retired early, and yet here he was looking to get back into the same career that he left. So I reached out to him to see what was going on, and we chatted about it a little bit, and I realized this his story was one that definitely needed to be told. And it's a very personal one, so I really appreciate that he decided to share it with everyone because it's hard to talk about some of these things. And we dive into things like depression and mental illness and other problems that you think that financial independence could solve, but in a lot of cases, it won't. So as this whole financial independence thing gets more mainstream and there's more fire cheerleaders out there saying, this is the best thing ever, it's going to fix everything, it's the answer to all your problems... Just do some soul searching, listen to this episode, learn from Tony's experiences, and hopefully have a much easier, enjoyable, fun journey to financial independence and beyond. So without further delay, thank you so much, Tony. I really appreciate you being here. Brandon, it's so good to be here. I'm I'm honored and kind of, uh, you know, feel like I don't deserve to be here, but I'm really glad to be here talking to you. Oh, no, you definitely deserve so it. You have you. a incredibly interesting and up and down story that I'm excited to get into. But before we do that, let's just, yeah, just tell everybody how we know each other. I think we met, what was it, two years ago at Camp Mustache? Yeah, it was Camp Mustache in Washington State. And you and I met there after, well, I had been creeping on your blog for, you know, a couple of years by that point, uh, and really getting a lot of value out of it. And so, and yeah, you and I just sat down at lunch and kind of hit it off. And, uh, and here we are a few years later, uh, that was kind of the beginning of my FI journey. So it was really an awesome event to be a part of. So yeah, let's talk about that. So w- what was your life like before you discovered this whole crazy world? So I kind of became exposed to the idea of early retirement in like 2012-ish through a podcast uh, by a fellow named Paul Wheaton, who's um, in Montana. And he's, a well, he's a lot of things. He's a kind of a polymath, but uh, he interviewed Jacob Lund Fisker on his podcast, which is called the Permaculture Voice or Permaculture Podcast, um, permies.com. It's awesome. He has a few hundred podcasts that uh, range all over the place. But yeah, he he interviewed the guy from Earlier Time and Extreme, and I, I listened to that and just had this, like, this guy's insane, you know, like <laughs> Jacob, he's an interesting guy himself, but um but the idea that kind of planted a seed in my head of like, wow, this guy's like living it up. Well, he's having a great life on, I don't even know at the time, it was like 10K a year. And I know he shaved it down even more living in the Bay Area for like 7 or 8K a year. It was just kind of a, a way to think creatively about how to structure your life that was introduced to me. At this point, you were a, a software developer by trade, right? But you were not actually yeah. very focused on money and you actually right. had you know, sometimes issues with money and payday, you were using payday loans and credit cards and things like that. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Through my twenties. Yeah. I was horrible with money, like paycheck to paycheck at best. And, um, I was never able to budget, uh, never able to save. Uh, and you know, all windfalls that I got 
unexpectedly, you know, tax returns, stuff like that, just immediately just disappeared. And yeah, I used to, you know, I used payday loan services through like pretty regularly in my, in my early twenties, just like, you know, I'd get to pay to rent being due and I'd be like, Oh, I only have $300 and I need to pay $700 for rent by 8am tomorrow. So I guess I'll go to the money tree and, you know, sign up for a loan with like, you know, 200 percent effective interest or something crazy and uh, yeah i probably did that like 10 or more times a year and even into my late 20s it wasn't that was kind of my parachute cord you know was oh shit i how did this happen you know again for the hundredth time and um yeah so there was there was zero kind of financial acumen um in my life until I'd say, you know, I started earning more money in my late twenties, so it became less of a problem, but it was, it was, that was what made it less of a problem, not my becoming more mature or anything about finances. So, so at this stage, were you happy in your career? How was, how was life going at this point? Were you looking for a way out or was this just something that was like, Oh, this, this is going to be a good thing to pursue while I'm doing this career that I enjoy. I definitely wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't hating it, but I was certainly not looking forward to going to work in the morning. I did have a lot of coworkers that I really loved working with. So like I did have a good time with them, but I certainly felt like I was not happy. You know, I wasn't getting fulfilled and I wasn't doing my best work, though I, I didn't know it at the time. Um, that was just, that's the best way I knew how to do it. So I didn't know there was a better way. And so this kind of got me curious about lifestyle design as well. And that's when I started thinking about, you know, maybe you don't have to work, you know, five days a week, nine to five. Um, or you can, you can have a goal that where you can see an end to that if you want, if you don't, if that's not working for you. So that, that certainly got me, got me started on thinking about that and getting curious. So when I met you, uh, you were also a farmer. So you're, uh, you know, in tech, but then you also ran a farm. So where did where did the whole farm come into the play? In 2011 and 12, my life kind of fell apart in a in a way. I um, I went through a divorce with my my then wife, and at my job, I kind of ran out of the ability to work harder. Like I, I crashed all of my all my adult life. I had felt the need to prove myself and um, I felt the need to be needed uh, to be indispensable. And my job at that time, it wasn't technically software engineer. I was managing the operations IT and QA departments of a software company. So my job and it was really like keep bad things from happening was my job, like in a short, in a sentence and keep the company running and the stuff that makes us money, you know, keep it, keep it, keep it up. And when, when things go bad, I got called at three in the morning, you know, me and my team would fix it. So I, I just was working harder and harder on that. And, um, and eventually I, I just crashed. I couldn't work harder. My body rejected it. I would get sick. Um, I was very, you know, sad and irritable. And my CEO at the time, who's a wonderful guy, um, he, he brought me into a room after a particularly bad event where, you know, because of doing things as fast as possible, I had caused like an outage in our service that cost us, you know, about $10,000, let's say, 
the company. And he brought me into a room and I was expecting to get, you know, fired or, <laughs> or at least yelled at. And he said, you know, Tony, um, I want you to be open to the idea that the solution to this, what happened and the, the solution to preventing it from happening again, isn't you working harder. Like that's what got us here. And that was a really, I remember that very vividly. And I still think about that because I do have a lot of workaholic and perfectionism tendencies pretty hardwired in me. So that got me curious about doing something different. I read a book by a gentleman named Joel Salatin, who calls himself the lunatic farmer. And he is awesome. I read a book by him entitled Folks, This Ain't Normal. And when I read that book, it was like a lightning bolt of inspiration to me. Like I went overnight from not knowing what I wanted to do with my life to I'm a farmer now. (laughs) Where am I going to put the chickens and ducks and pigs, you know, like on my balcony? Um, It was it was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. Like I, I had constantly heard people talking about, you know, doing stuff like them applying their lives to something they would do for free, loving their job, feeling passion for something greater than themselves. I had never felt that before. And this was an immediate, like, like I said, lightning bolt of inspiration. That was super exciting. Then I, I just went, I just went all in on that. Um, the next weekend after reading that book, I had, you know, I went to the farmer's market every Saturday morning and I had a bunch of farmers that I bought stuff from. My food budget at that time was actually more than my rent. Um, I was paying, I was at least $1,500 a month. And that was with me eating out maybe like three times a month. Wow. So I would just buy, you know, I was buying ribeye steaks for $28 a pound. You know, I had enough money where I could do all this stuff. I wasn't obviously saving any money, but, um, but man, I, I ate well. And, uh, <laughs> and so I just went to every farmer I had a relationship with over the, since 2010, when I started shopping at farmer's markets and was like, let me volunteer on your farm. Let me volunteer on your farm. Let me volunteer on your farm. And finally, one of them said, well, you can't volunteer on the farm right now, but you want to come help us uh, tear down our farmer's market booth today at two o'clock? And I was like, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and so I did and then had a great time just talking to these people who cared about what I cared about. And then uh, George was the guy's, the farmer's name. And he said, Hey, do you want to come help us set up tomorrow morning in Ballard? And uh, so I said, yes. And I did that. And I kept doing that Saturday and Sunday. And that turned into me just instead of showing up to help set up and then showing up to help tear down, I just started staying for the whole farmer's market and helping sell all the goodies that were being you know, produced and raised in a way that I, that I wanted to do myself. And that's, that's been like the, maybe the most helpful thing for me in growing has been to surround myself with people that are successfully doing what I want to emulate because they've gone through all of the horrible, stupid mistakes and let me be free to make exciting new mistakes, you know? So fast forward to a few months later, I kind of had for people that have seen the film office space, an office space epiphany where because I cared so much about farming now, I cared 
so much less about work. And, you know, I didn't just start going in in my pajamas or anything like that, but I just stopped stressing out about little mistakes and even moderately large mistakes that I made because we're all going to make mistakes all the time. And um, I started doing better work. I started enjoying my job more. Um, it ended up with me being promoted and given like a 15% raise a few months after, you know, like six months after that change in mentality and perspective on my job. It's amazing, isn't it? It's the, <laughs> I was so surprised by it, but the more and more people I talk to, it's just like the same exact story. It's the office space syndrome. I like that. I like the name of that. That's uh, pretty much perfect. Yeah. And so then I, I did that volunteer gig for about four months and, uh, and then that, that ended. And then I was like, well, now what? Well, I felt like after, you know, four months of, uh, learning from someone, I was ready to do it myself, which was totally not true, but, um, <laughs> I was looking for farmland to rent. And then, you know, as this happened so many times since, since this um, epiphany happened, like the universe has just given me the right thing at the right time and given me what I needed, even though it wasn't necessarily what I thought I wanted. Um, and one of the examples of that is I connected with my cousins who owned some old family land and they weren't using it. And there was a house on it that had been vacant since their parents died two years prior. And so I connected with them. I hadn't really had a relationship with these cousins. Um, because they were about 30 years older than me. But I connected with them, and they and it was just a perfect fit. They were like, well, this house is going to fall apart um, if no one's living in it, taking care of it, and the land isn't getting used, and so why don't we work something out? And so I ended up there paying like a pittance in rent, you know, it was like $400 a month in rent for the whole, for this house and and this uh, this land. And so I started a little farm. And so I should say I, I negotiated at my job. I just said, like, I want to work 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. so I can, you know, do the farm. And I moved out there. I got four goats, three pigs, and 25 chickens and started raising, started running a farm. My schedule was pretty crazy. Uh, I'd wake up at 4 a.m. I'd do chores. I would... Uh, get ready for work and leave at about 5.30. I'd work 6 a.m. to 3, and then I'd come home, and I would farm more until it was dark, and then I'd go to sleep. <laughs> and that was pretty much, that was all I did uh, from June until February 2014. That sounds nuts. It was So in a lot of these cases, you talk to a lot of people with these dreams, and then the reality is a lot different than the dream. How how was it for you? Yeah. Was it everything you hoped it would be, or was it harder? It was. It really was everything. It was a lot like I thought it would be, and it wasn't much harder than I thought. And and the the ways in which it was difficult, I kind of reveled in, you know, because they it felt so it was so in line with my values that it almost seemed effortless, even though I was exhausted, you know, at the end of every day. It was like an exalted exhaustion. I like to think about it like that. Like when you just put forth all you got towards something you really believe in, there's a, there's a kind of like bliss as, as part of that. So, so at this point you, um, did you ever think about, you know, turning in the tech job? Um, cause it sounds like obviously the, 
the farm was your passion and yeah. you had some savings at that time um, or yeah. was it just not financially possible to do that? Or did you like the balance sure. of both, both worlds? It was definitely not balanced. So I, I wanted to get out of, um, to get out of tech entirely. And in fact, it was, it was kind of hard for me not to just quit a few times in 2013, which would have been a really bad idea, I think, because I would have, been consumed even more by the farm and probably made myself sick, you know, even worse and even more often. So at some point in 2013, 2014, I kind of was like, all right, I got to map out a path to not needing to work in tech. And that was when I started, I really delved into headfirst into the whole ERE. You know, I read the ERE book. I think that was probably the first book I read. I read Your Money or Your Life. And then I got into Mr. Money Mustache and Mad Scientist and JL Collins and H and all these wonderful people that have blazed the trail for us and, and given us like the strategy and the tactics, the how and why of how to do this stuff. And, and yeah, that was, so that's when I really started to come up with a, like my plan to get to financial independence. So you decide that, you know, okay, you're done with, you're, you want to get out of the tech world as soon as possible. You have this high income that you've, you know, is growing thanks to the office space uh, syndrome. And um, your expenses are low because of the farm situation and living situation you worked yourself into. So presumably yeah. it was a pretty quick, uh, you know, ramp up towards this FI number that you had in mind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I made a, a, a Google sheet that was just like, all right, here's how much I need to be happy. And I had hardly any money at this time. I was making a fair amount, but, uh, you know, all the money I had had been like frittered away or went into the farm. And so now I was just like, well, as everyone says, the, the numbers are easy. You know, the math is easy as far as plotting your course to FI. It's simple, but it's not, well, I should say it's simple, not easy, not easy to implement. So when I had that path in front of me, I... I was like, okay, I can do this, you know, and uh, and I just kind of set up my life with my commute, you know, my six six to three schedule. It was easy to just kind of once I had a, a, a path that I could just keep walking towards, keep walking down the path, and know, knew where I was going to be. It became so much easier to just do it. Like, I don't know, a lot of people, I think, like they get on their FI journey and they they spend a bunch of time and energy on it every day. I really didn't. Um, I just, you know, charted out my, my path and, and, uh, and I just got my lifestyle organized and I just went, you know, I kept walking. So I had this, uh, stupid little Google spreadsheet and, uh, it had forecast me to like be like hit my number, um, in, in like end of March ish, 2017. And the company I was working for wasn't doing so hot, and they laid off a bunch of people in August uh, 2016. And I told my boss after that, like, hey, you know, I'm really having a good time here. I feel like I'm doing a good job, uh, and I don't need this job, you know. So if there needs to be more layoffs, um, please, you know, sacrifice me instead of someone with a family that needs this job. And so, lo and behold, uh, January 27th, rolls around. It was the 27th of January. Got to work and had someone come get me and hit. they like, hey, can you come into this room for a few minutes? You know, <laughs> and, uh, 
And I walk into the room and they have the folder on the table and stuff. And I had been on the other side of the table so much, so many times, like laying other people off that I knew exactly what was happening. And I just felt this like wave of relief wash over my body. I remember it. And I think the first thing I said to them was like, all right, I know, I know this drill and I know you're way more nervous about this than I am. So just know that this is, uh, this is, this is totally fine with me. I'm going to be very happy. And, uh, you know, you guys, you have a hard day ahead of you. So, and I ended up with a severance package that, um, basically gave me the number I was going to get by the end of March anyway. So what was the, what was that first few months of ER like? Because obviously it was sooner than you'd expected. Were you mentally prepared for it? Uh, no, I, I had like notionally thought like, uh, I was starting to think about, Hey, I should probably think about the transition period before the end of March, you know, um, at some point before the end of March. And obviously I didn't get that opportunity. And honestly, I'm not sure it would have helped, but, um, but for, yeah, I did not get it. So kind of the, the ideas I had about um, what early retirement would look like were that I would play a lot of video games because <laughs> I had uh, not made time for that. And like, so I played a lot of Diablo 3 and Warcraft 3 uh, and had a great time. And I had tons of ideas. Like one of the things I wanted to do ER4 was so that I could build skills and like learn things I wanted to know by doing them. Like, for example, welding or working in a bike shop or espresso stand or something like that. Like I wanted to get like part-time jobs doing stuff that I wanted to learn how to do. And for whatever reason, I just, when I hit FI, I was, you know, when I, I had all this time, I just didn't do that. I didn't go do them, you know, like there were ideas that sounded good, but I, like for whatever reason, I just didn't follow through with them. Like I, I had a lot of malaise and fatigue and, and what I now recognize is depression and anxiety. And then, um, like July and August just continued depression, anxiety. And the way that showed up in my life was, um, that I, I was pretty irritable to be around. It wasn't fun to be around. I was often tired, fatigued, you know, didn't want to get out of bed. And, uh, and the biggest one was I was, I stopped enjoying things that I used to love. So, bike rides, um, hiking, cooking, like all these things that I love to do just became at best. I was like, okay, this isn't so bad. So what are you thinking at this time? Because obviously if you've, you know, put a lot of hope into like, everything's going to be fine and good after I hit five and then here you are and it's not good. It's not better. It's worse. And all the things that you thought you would do, you're not doing how how was that and were you thinking about you know like did i make the wrong decision or what was going through your head um i didn't ever regret the decision to pursue or like quote unquote achieve fi um i did you know this was i was in a spiral of like thinking yet yet again like that i'm doing this wrong or that i am inherently flawed in some way like because I'm so spoiled, like I'm so lucky in so many ways, both because of privilege and just lucky timing. Um, and then all the hard work that I did to save so much money, you know, like I just felt like I have all of this stuff. I have all this free time. I live in this beautiful valley on this farm. 
Um, and yet here I am miserable. That was some of the lowest times I've, I've ever had. And, uh, and yeah, it was like, I didn't have anything to underneath that. Like, it was like, I did everything I knew how to do. <laughs> uh, I tried my hardest. I used all my skills. I, I got so much help from so many people and here I am. And, and another way it came out was when I explained my life to other people that I like strangers, you know, people that I've met at parties or whatever, I'd be hearing myself talk about my life and I'd be like, this sounds amazing. Why am I flipping miserable? You know? <laughs> and so. And it's one was, thing when you have a job, like you, you could always blame it on your job. Yeah. Um, you can always, not only that, but the job is also distracting. So if. Yep you are feeling like that, then having to do a bunch of work uh, will usually take your mind off of it. So missing yeah. out on that job takes away the distraction and takes away the most obvious uh, excuse for why you're feeling that way. Yeah, no, I couldn't blame anything, you know? And so that, that just fueled the fire of like uh, self, just like self criticism. I, I guess one of the things I learned was that I was using my job to manage my anxiety and depression with like working workaholism and like perfectionism. And I actually ended up at the urging of friends and partners and family to go get, go talk to a psychiatrist. And uh, I was like, you guys are nuts. Like, I'm just, I'm not crazy, you know? And, uh, and, but I did, and I got an opinion that I didn't like. So I went and saw someone else and I got the same opinion. <laughs> and their opinion was that I was struggling with like pretty severe anxiety and moderate depression and that how they would you know what they would recommend is is going on an antidepressant an ssri and as one of them described to me like i'm i at that point was already doing everything they would suggest someone do like i was getting plenty of exercise i was eating really well i was meditating you know obviously i didn't have stress from work i had family and friends around me and yet i was struggling so much with myself and so I started on an SSRI in August, uh, 2017. And, uh, these drugs are so weird, right? Cause they're like, well, take it for three weeks. And then we might know if something is going on that like it, we might know if it's working or not. And, but anyway, I got lucky. Um, I had a good practitioner and we like hit the jackpot the first time around the first try. Um, and man, September and October, I just started waking up feeling like glad to be alive. And it had been so long. <clears throat> I then realized, you know, when you're in the middle of this stuff, it's so hard to, to realize where you're at. But, you know, the, it became so clear when I, when I did start feeling glad to be alive, how much I had not had it for so long. And I would say that it probably been like 2014. 2015 since I had felt that reliably and uh yeah September and October were just such a welcome I just felt so relieved and so much less anxious and so much less irritable and I had more energy and I was just enjoying things that I that I liked and I was just able to give myself some slack you know what would you say to people that you know, may be in a similar situation. Like you said, it's really hard to, to realize you're in that situation. Like the same with me when I was in the hardcore savings mode and we were isolated in Vermont for two years and I had no idea that, you know, what it had got to. And it was only when I came out of it that I realized, you know, how badly, how bad it got. 
So what? Like it's yeah. tough. Like what would you say to people, especially people like you and me who are pinning all their hopes on this this end goal of phi, and that was just going to solve everything? Sure. I think the the well. So here's what here's the reality checks to help me. It was kind of like I said. Like if you're if you can explain your life to somebody, and it sounds to you when you're speaking it like a totally different life than the one you're living, <laughs> that might be a sign that you're you know, I mean, I like to call my depression and anxiety brain cooties, uh, but that that might be a sign that you're struggling with brain cooties. And that's one big one. Um, the other one is if you have activities that you used to love, enjoy reliably, that you, you know, used to give some juice to your life, and now they're just perfunctory, you know, or they, they don't give you joy anymore. They just make your life manageable and durable. That's, uh, that's a sign. And yeah, and then again, if you just find that you're, you're enduring your life, you know, that's not how humans are built to experience life, you know, and that doesn't mean that you have brain cooties. It might mean that, you know, you're working too much or you're working too hard. You're not giving your body what it needs as far as food and rest, exercise. Um, there are like myriad reasons that this might be happening. It's not guaranteed that you're going to have some kind of brain cooties or whatever. But if you get to the state where you've eliminated all those other things that, you know, could potentially be helpful if you did them and, and then you're still at that position, then that's probably, yeah. And just if, if I get up on my soapbox for 30 seconds and just say, like, the stigmatism about mental illness in, in our culture and um, is so tragic to me because I just think of all the people that are either not here because they had to escape via suicide or they're trudging and enduring their way through their life without getting help. It really, you know, um, I won't go on about it cause I'll start crying. <laughs> it is so tragic to me. And, uh, the fact that we treat mental illness like some character flaw rather than, and expect people to, to do the mental and the emotional equivalent of like running a marathon on a broken leg, you know? Um, so that's my PSA that I'll just get out there about, you know, talk, like, be honest when you're not okay, you know, uh, don't say everything's fine. Yeah. Well, that's why I'm so thankful that you decided to come on because yeah, I incredibly yeah. helpful. So I really, really appreciate you you know, talking yeah. with me so yeah. honestly and openly. So I'm sure the audience does as well. So around no. this time is when you decided to actually go back to work. Is that right? Yeah. And that was part of, um, so when I started feeling better about stuff, um, thanks to my medication, um, I was like, all right, let's, let's try to stabilize our life a little bit more and just make, go back to what was last working for me, you know, like, uh, boaters say, you know, when something goes wrong, stop the boat, right? Um, like get back to a, to a place where you can make decisions. And so I ended up, uh, getting a part-time job in October. I had reached out to, some friends that I had worked with, uh, coworkers I'd worked with at my, at my last job that I got laid off from. And they were at this little startup in, in Seattle. And, uh, I went in and visited with them and I was like, Hey, what are you guys up to? I'm looking to maybe start working again. And, but I only want to work part time. So let's see if we can make something that's a good fit. And yeah, it ended up that, uh, they did, it did seem like a good fit. So I started working on October. Um, doing software development as a, an individual contributor rather than a manager. 
and I work like now I work uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and my, you know, uh, it's wonderful. It's the same. It's even better than the office space experience I had before because I think because of two things. One, I know if it stops being fun, I can just stop. Uh, and two, uh, I really, it's helped me really appreciate like the good, th- the good stuff about working, um, which is mostly about being around other people. I love working on hard problems with people I respect. Like that's a drug and, uh, and I'm addicted to it. So, so, and, and it's also just fun to, to like do something you're good at is really important to me. And uh, it's so nice to do something that feels in almost effortless, you know, to get into flow. It's lovely. So, yeah, that, that started in October. And I'm really glad I, I, I did that. When you were making that decision, was it a hard decision to make or did, was it obvious like, OK, like I missed these things about the job and now I can mm. potentially get those things while still maintaining all the other good stuff about, you know, early retirement yeah. and f- fill those voids that I actually am missing now that I've stepped away and realized that I'm missing them. So was it was it a pretty pretty easy decision? Oh yeah, I I felt a slight twinge of shame about like oh I'm I'm a fraud you know like oh I didn't I couldn't do earlier retirement. <laughs> I felt a little bit of shame there, but but uh, but thankfully because um, like largely because of like therapy and other stuff, like I just felt less of an attachment to that identity, so I could I could give it up, and uh, so yeah, I had no. Uh, no qualms about it. And that, and that's what it's all about. Like, I think people get so hung up on the, or the retirement part, but the whole point is happiness. So if you step away from work and realize that you're missing a lot of those things and the easiest and best way to get those things is to, to get another, another job or a full-time job, even a part-time job, whatever, you know, yeah. there's no shame in that. The whole point is happiness and yeah. a job can give you a lot of things that, you know, you can't do just on your own. So even, you know, like making a big Im- impact on the world, like working for a big corporation, maybe that'll, you know, have some, give you more leverage than you doing something on your own. And yeah, and, and yeah there's no shame in that. No, no. And it's been really great. Like, I don't know, like this whole office space syndrome thing is a phenomenon. Syndrome sounds like an illness. Um, but, uh, you know, I so appreciate sincerely like the people I work with as humans now you know I like I'm like making the most of the time I have there rather than like grinding through it and uh and I enjoy it so much more and and people enjoy being around me so much more and so like the relationships and like everything about it is so much more juicy you know it's um it's really lovely that's fantastic I'm really happy to hear it so it's great you were able to pick up another job in the same industry now Maybe for someone who is not in, you know, a high demand field like tech, uh, that may not be so easy. So maybe could you talk a little bit more about the things that you were missing and the things that your job has now fulfilled? And just to give people an idea of like, you know, if they're maybe in a similar situation and they can maybe appreciate their current situation before they make a big change that they may not be able to to unwind. Yeah. uh, I can talk about that. So the big thing, like the biggest thing that I was missing was kind of human connection. After I retired, you know, I was, (laughs) I'd kind of built my own lifestyle that didn't include a lot of like habitual human contact that was not at work. And so 
that was a big, I think if I was going to do something different, that would probably be uh, a big, the biggest part of it would be building like, you know, human contact into uh, your daily, not daily routine, but definitely your weekly routine. Or some, some sort of forced human contact. Cause I think I'm probably really similar to you where if I didn't have a reason or like some other motivation to do it, I just wouldn't do it. Cause it's obviously the easier choice and the more comfortable choice. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. a good point. Yeah, exactly. Plus like all the people you, you know, most of the people in our age group, you know, they're working nine to five Monday through Friday. Right. So it's like, right. even if even days when I wanted to, wanted to be social with people, it was like, uh, well, <laughs> you know, what am I going to do? Like, uh, all my friends are at work, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, that was a big one. And then the other one I, I kind of, uh, alluded to earlier was like, it, it's really fulfilling to work on something you're good at doing. So I think, you know, me especially, or, and a lot of people would say, I'm sure, you know, we like to learn new things and do things that are difficult. And, uh, a big part of that is, is failing over and over again. And that can get kind of, uh, fatiguing after a while, you know? So I think just doing something that you're competent at is, is, uh, is its own reward in a lot of ways. And then I would also say that, you know, working on hard problems with other people, uh, that you like respect is, is totally a drug, you know? It's just, uh, I don't know. There's something juicy about that. Maybe it's part of just human brain wiring, or maybe maybe it's just people like me and you that um, that really need that. Uh, but those are the big. And then obviously the you know the money doesn't hurt. I mean, I just view it as like a bounty. You know, now like it, it, it's a uh, it's like I don't need to worry about taking care of of my needs. I know I know they're taken care of, and and like you know, it's kind of the office space thing. Like I, when I go to work now, it's like, I don't need to be there. So I better have, have a good time. Uh, <laughs> so why not make it the best, you know, the most fun that I can. And it's, that's totally um, infectious, you know, being around that kind of energy, like everyone, you know, it's like fun to be around that kind of person that's trying to make the best of something. Yeah, absolutely. And, and obviously, everyone else is probably stuck there and the complete opposite. And, and yeah, you're right that people can feel that can tell. And it's no wonder you get promotions because you're a whole mm -hmm. different species pretty much in, in the workplace. Yeah, it's really totally different than like before I, you know, before I found a path to FI, you know, when it was just like the, gr the grind and, uh, you know, and I, I want to just qualify this, like not every day is a good day at work, even now, you know, I still have annoying days when I'm irritable or just nothing goes right. And I'm like, uh, you know, just looking like I'm glad to get home. Right. So it's not a it's not magic, but it like so it's so much better. So I want to just ask you a few things about, you know, moving on from the farm dream, because I you know, I know people struggle giving up their careers because you know, their identity is tied to that. But I would think that, you know, something as powerful and as big of a part of your life for so many years as that, it would be maybe even harder to let go of, like, especially since that's something that you chose. Whereas, you know, a career, some people may feel they're just working because they have to. Um, and yet their identity still gets tied into that. But I met you and I, you know, 
it was apparent you were a farmer very early on. We chatted about it almost instantly. So has that been difficult? So the hard part about that was asking the question to myself. Like, so it was, it was really tough to even get past the assumption that that might be something I would even ask that could, that it could be true that I would not be a farmer anymore. That was, uh, I'd say that was like 95% of the, of the uh, difficulty was just asking the question honestly and being willing to hear whatever answer was true. And, you know, it was five, once I had that answer, it was like 5% to, to carry that difficult truth forward. I think, you know, I probably waited too long to ask that question. And so by the time I did, like carrying that out the, um, was actually like a relief. I guess I, I feel a tiny twinge of like <laughs> shame or, or lack of identity. Um, like, oh no, people aren't going to think like Tony the farmer or whatever, you know, uh, like one of the feathers in my cap is gone. That's there a little bit, but not nearly as much as I would have guessed. And I'd also say to people that feel that they, they need to have some kind of passion or purpose in their life, like, be careful what you wish for, right? Because uh, <laughs> I, you know, I went through this this journey and, you know, it, it cuts both ways. Like when I was, uh, you know, basically working over 100 hours a week between my job and the farm and driving myself into exhaustion and illness and not able to get out of bed for days at a time, like there's a cost there. And, um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with making the world a better place and making your place in it the best you can. You know, there's no need to, you didn't do life wrong if, uh, if you weren't like possessed of some overriding purpose. So that's great. And yeah, I th thank you so much for doing this. This is, uh, I think going to help a lot of people and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. I know I personally can. That's why I was really excited to get you on the show. I usually ask all my guests, you know, if you had one piece of advice for someone on the path to financial independence, what would that be? Yeah. If I had to pick one thing that I would have people ask themselves or, or prepare for, it would be, um, building human connection into their life after, after they retire. And that might mean, you know, volunteering at a, um, helping kids or, or elderly people, um, just being around people that you can, re that you can talk to really. And it almost doesn't matter what venue that's in, you know, it might be going on meetup.com and meeting some hiking buddies. Um, it yeah, it might be volunteering, whatever human connection means to you, uh, make that automatic, you know, um, and that's going to be different for everybody. Some people are really gregarious by nature, but I think for people like you and me, you know, that's a requirement for a fulfilling life in my, in my life is to have meaningful human connection. So that'd be my one piece of advice is to figure out what that's going to look like for you. That's great advice. And yeah, I'm thinking of maybe going back to school next year, just to force myself to get out and socialize more and just do it in a way that at least I'm learning something and I'm interested in. Um, so yeah, but like I said before, like being forced to do it because otherwise I'll just get stuff done on my computer, or, you know, hang out with 
Jill or whatever. So, um, so yeah, no, I think that's fantastic advice and it's not been shared before on the show and it's not even, you know, something I have focused on, but after leaving my job, I realized how important it is. Yeah. And I, I really, yeah, just we're humans, you know, humans need, we're social animals and, um, it's a huge part of our survival drive built into our, you know, our genes that have been honed through evolution. Absolutely. So Tony, if anyone wants to get in touch, uh, obviously you, you don't have a blog or anything, but do you, you maybe they could either go to the comment section or if, if there's any way to get in touch, is you're welcome to share it now. Sure. Uh, yeah. So if you want to talk to me, like send me an email <laughs> and, uh, Best email to, uh, would be, I'll give you one of my Google accounts. It's uh, housefullofbees at gmail.com. Well, yeah, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, okay. And yeah. yeah, I just appreciate it so much. And I'm sure the audience does as well. So thank you so much for being on the show. This has been great. Hopefully we can uh, get together at some point again. It's been a few years since I've been at Camp Mustache. But uh, hopefully uh, maybe one of these upcoming ones get up into the Pacific Northwest and, and hopefully uh, catch up some more because this has been great. I look forward to it, Brandon. Thanks so much for having me on. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Finance.